think my life just, and you know this, you know, and I don't know how to say this without crying, but um, my life has never been easy. So I think I just feel like nobody's ever understood me. Nobody's ever understood like why I am the way that I am. For the longest time, I was just working with a bunch of like upper class white men. And I remember having to be really like, work twice as hard as them and always questioning like why though for saying that there's a lot of microaggressions and stuff even with South Asians to each other you know like you know fat shaming color shaming you know uh, education shaming socioeconomic like shaming there's, there's so much hello and welcome back to another episode of what's brown got to do with it now this one's extra extra special because my guest today is my sister Woohoo! my sister Neda. Neda with an e not Neda with an i so it's not nether it's Neda. and i also need to because she told me before we started recording i need to let you know that what's brown got to do with it actually the name came from my sister so welcome ned how are you good thank you thanks for having me yeah i mean reluctantly she was a little bit nervous about having this but when i was thinking about some like conversations so the other day i was um talking to somebody and we were talking about um my birthday my birthday's coming up and um i was um, talking about not feeling like I've accomplished anything, not feeling like I really want to celebrate. Um, there were so many like thoughts going in my mind and then I just got really kind of emotional and upset. And usually when I'm in that state of mind, the first person I ever call is, is my sister. Um, and so she's always my sounding board and she's always the one to, you know, kind of break it down for me and tell me like, it's not how I'm always seeing things. So at that moment in time, I think that's when I decided um, that, oh, you know what? I should actually do a podcast with you because there will be no more of a real conversation than with us. Although, Although there probably is a lot we can't say. I was just about to say that. We'll probably end up offending people. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be a little bit careful for the first one. But, um, you know, when we were growing up, so for those of you who don't know, our background is a little bit different. Now, our dad is from India. I was going to say my dad, but he's your dad too. So our dad is from India and our mom, although originally, you know, they're from India, but they migrated to Pakistan. And so it's been a little bit like different for us because I think, you know, growing up, we've been a little bit confused ourselves, right? Like, would you say that? Oh, definitely. I mean, we only ever visited India, for example, but we supported the Pakistani cricket team. <laughs> yeah, true. Growing up, we didn't actually go to Pakistan very often at all. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like we actually just supported the better looking team. Yeah, that's true. And to annoy dad. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, it was just, yeah, I think there was a level of annoyance. But even like going to school, we were never really accepted by the Pakistani community no, um, in our school because they never actually saw us as Pakistani. We were too, what's the word? We were too progressive for them. Yeah, we weren't traditional. We didn't have to, I don't know, tie our hair up at home and then have it down when we were at school. Do you, do you remember that? Did you? Yeah, I mean, we wore 
we wore skirts in PE. I think that was a really big deal. Like, cycling oh my shorts. God, how are you wearing a skirt? Yeah. yeah, like it was like, oh, wow. And how are you not wearing like, you know, jogging bonds and stuff? Because they were, I mean, to be fair, a lot of um, the community, the Pakistani community, or the Muslim community, you know, growing up, they were very conservative, like very, mm. very conservative. We, we had friends and that I were think, boys yeah. and that was allowed. <laughs> Yeah, for you it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, actually. I was allowed to have friends that were boys. <laughs> oh, maybe I had too many guy friends. That was the problem. But the other issue also was, is that, you know, like for, for us, part of our upbringing was dad was very like, he wanted us to be independent and then, you know, stand on our own two feet. So he always taught us, you know, like be to be a little bit different. And a lot of our, you know, people that we grew up with, like from the Pakistani community, they didn't have that advantage. No, like no, no. we saw a lot of sneaking around, right? Which we didn't have to do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> again, you didn't. <laughs> but I do feel... Oh, in all honesty, maybe being the second child as well, I feel like I really did pave the way yeah, I, for you. I feel like I, you know, they went through so much crap with me that it when is, it came it's to true, you, actually. Like, like, thanks for that. <laughs> I kind of like saved you from, and by the time it came to you, it was like, you know, just do what you want. <laughs> just call me Wear a skirt. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Show your ankles. Nobody cares. <laughs> but then I think that also translated to us not having many kind of, uh, and I'm going to generalize it, but Muslim friends growing up. No, we were told to always, you know, it wasn't about you can only be friends with Muslims, so you can only be friends with, you know, a particular religion. It was always yeah. respect all religions, respect everyone, be friends with everyone. It was, I never, I wasn't. But I do think like from all our, yeah. yeah, from our friends growing up, we probably had the most diverse yeah. self. That's true. That's, yeah. I mean, That's your true. BFF was Mary Middleton for the longest time. <laughs> At primary school. <laughs> yeah, don't forget Hayley and Sarah. <laughs> oh yeah, you did. I know, but then I, I, but then I met him at um, secondary school. <laughs> Yeah, and that was different. But for the longest time, it was Mary, Haley, Sarah. But a lot of people wouldn't, like, have that. But going back to, like, looking a certain way, so when I often think about this, like, why, you know, are people the way that they are? And I look at Dad and I think about, you know, just, like, he obviously moved to England much later than Mum did. Mum was there before Dad was. Mm -hmm. And so... It was very like a different kind of because dad probably moved there in the 70s um yes and for him he came like from with this notion that you have to be different you have to look different you can't be associated with being like this typical south asian do you, do you remember everyone I think that used to think he was a doctor because of how smartly he was yeah. always dressed <laughs> yeah dad always even to this day when he goes out he wears a blazer like and we've never seen I mean, dad tells us like he's never ever worn jeans yeah, yeah, in his yeah. life, but 
dad's always worn a blazer even now when he goes out he will always have like trousers and a blazer oh God, on. That, like that's that harry's tweed jacket yeah like his dad loves his tweed but i do feel like a lot of that was to kind of move away from the narrative right that you know all asians are like you know we're gonna have our hair tied back or oil in our hair and you know we're gonna be like nodding our head side to side and there was just this stereotype that people had and dad really did his best to try and fight yeah. against and that to keep away from that and so what that translated to and even to this day like i am very particular that when i leave the house i have to look a certain way presentable um and i remember yeah when aman was a baby i don't know if you remember this but i used to be a bit cray cray about how he had to look like he was always dressed very smart he was always you know and if i ever came home and yeah, this no. boy had two mismatched socks i remember everyone thought you were being extra but you weren't it was it's in it was in you. it was just the way we were you were a bit more than me though <laughs> but again maybe because you like were, I said, because you're the eldest so yeah you know by the time they, i got it harder I mean, I remember mum used to tell me or mum used to tell us that, you know, like even before I was born or when I was born, like dad only used to go and buy like clothes from Harrods yeah. and Selfridges. Like he was very, very proud, you yeah. know, and that time it was like, wow, you know, these weren't like cheap things and stuff. But dad always wanted us to look our best. And maybe by the time you came, they were just like, okay, have her hand me down. That kind of also, yeah. But then maybe that also gave you this level of, I don't know, did it, that level of not feeling as pressurized. Definitely. And I also, to be honest, I never felt as if, you know, I'm Asian or Indian, Pakistani, anything like that. For me, this was all just normal because I saw you go through it. So it wasn't, yeah. you know, I didn't know any different. And even though, you know, we live in like being from East London, it was very, um, mm. to me, that was all just, this is how it's supposed to be. It was actually when I got to secondary school and I had more Asian friends that I realised, actually, mm. we're a bit different. <laughs> we, yeah. Like you said, you know, we yeah. didn't fall into the, are we Indian or are we Pakistani, you know, Sri Lankan, Bangladesh. It was nothing like that. It was where, I don't know, do you still feel like that? even now that you're not actually sure where you're I think I'm actually more confident where I am now. I don't think I think of myself as Indian or Pakistani or, you know, I don't define myself like that. Although I feel that as I've, you know, gotten older and has definitely moved to this part of the world, yeah. it's more about people want to identify you as that. Like mm. they need to box oh, you the whole, one of Oh, the whole, where are you from? Like, well, no, really, where are you from? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where are you really from? Yeah. And I actually, I don't know where I'm from. <laughs> like, um, I'm from, I'm from everywhere. Well, my kids um, are in denial. Once... We're from England. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I remember once, um, Aman, when he was much, much younger, somebody asked him, um, like, where are you from? And he said, I'm a quarter Indian, a quarter Pakistani and half English. And I was like... Uh, I don't know, like, where your white dad came from. <laughs> I can tell you, it wasn't me. Um, and so that's also interesting. You know, there's probably another topic about where our kids 
actually think. But I remember, like, going back to the way we look, you know, focusing on how we present ourselves. So do you remember, like, one time I was working in a place with, and, like, two of my best friends now. um, Oh, yes. With them. And one of my... Yeah, one of my best friends, like, you know, she's also very presentable, like everyone, we all take care of the way we look and wear makeup and stuff. And I remember we used to be called the princess posse. And it was, I mean, now there's a label to it, right? It's not even a micro, but a macro aggression. Mm. But at that time, we never actually, we would laugh it off, but it became a thing. And it's so derogatory because the actual meaning behind it or the way the people were saying it was like, oh, well, you know, you're just always dressed up from head to toe. Exactly. And what you, do you You were know? just seen like, as pretty. That, that was it. That was all there was to you. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, for lack of a better word, I don't want to use the word bimbo because yeah. I feel like that's so derogatory it's, in itself. That's but that's how, you know, it was kind of made to feel. And so the repercussion of that was that you had to prove, you had to work twice as hard as anybody else to prove that actually I'm not like dumb, I'm not stupid, I, I do have a brain, you can be presentable, you can be good looking and you can actually have a brain. But also I realized much later in life that we didn't have the privilege of just turning up to work in our pajamas and not brushing our hair which later in life, I actually saw a lot of, like a lot from my non-colored colleagues Mm -hmm. that they would just turn up in whatever they wanted to turn up in and still be okay. But if I ever just turned up looking like a state, then I just wouldn't be taken seriously. But I was the same. Now you're a lawyer. I was the same at work. Imagine if I had just turned up, you know, not, like you said, not, you know, no makeup, not brushing my hair. I would have just been, well, maybe maybe i'm wrong but i feel like i would have just been seen as oh you know a typical asian a typical um like they wouldn't have i don't know i don't know i don't know they would have taken this so then like i wonder what defines and who defines typical like who put out that standard for what a typical asian looks like you know was it was it was it our parents like for us was it from dad or was it something that, you know, so going to like, who defines typical Asian, what a typical Asian looks like, you know, was it for us? Was but also being older, what, <laughs> what's wrong with being a typical Asian? Like, you know, I'm talking about others, obviously a lot younger, like. <laughs> yeah, but then has typical Asian evolved as well, though? Yes, must have. There's no such thing as a typical Asian anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Because is that because we just learned to conform and assimilate into a way that was expected of us? Possibly. You know, back then, there were lots of like girls growing up and stuff, you know, when we were out, they would be wearing like trousers to school, shavarkamis out. They weren't allowed to wear like Western clothes um, and things like that. But now it, it's just not a big deal. What if they're in like wearing shavakamis and being out with oil in their hair? Not as in if they're wearing Western clothes, like wearing Western oh, clothes, oh. Is just, it's just, it's just normal. If well, anything, I think, I think yeah, it's a it that you can still. 
but it wasn't like you that growing up. You can still be modest. Yeah. No, it wasn't like that at all. And then we had this image of like what it's like in back home, like India and Pakistan, like, you know, um, that they're like, I don't know, what's the word, like villages or something and repressed and, and, and whatnot. But the reality is that they probably were a lot more progressive. So much more modern than, than us. we ever were. It's true. Yeah. But I think, do you think that's also because they evolved with time, whereas our parents were kind of stuck in this generation whereby they obviously moved or migrated to England or America, wherever it was, and then they took this notion with them or their own upbringing. And for them, that's all they knew. And so and maybe because they were maybe some parents also went out of their way to to make a point that although we're in this country now, we're not going to forget our values and, you know, mm-hmm. our upbringing. And that's why they were extra strict with their children. Perhaps, um, mm. I don't know. I mean, that's also, that's all they knew that's as well, well right? Yeah. Like, but um, they didn't know. But look now. But that was really hard for, for us. Like, you have to, I mean, for me, it's definitely. We, we it had was, friends you know, like you whose, have um, to con- whose parents probably didn't want them to be friends with us because we weren't... <laughs> I'm sure more you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> was the rebel we are. But, uh... but this is the other thing, right? Like, it was... Okay, obviously, you know, have known me all my life. Oh, really? Um, I, have, <laughs> I have this um, rebellious streak to me. And I don't think it's rebellious. I think, like, you know, I've always fought for justice. I've always not been, you know vocal I've always been vocal about inequity I don't like when people are treated differently and stuff and so whether that's in our own community whether that's at home or whether that's at work and then there was another thing that I feel like I always got labeled with and that was being a troublemaker called a troublemaker yeah right and so when I think back to it like where did that come from like if a black woman or a black, yeah, if a black woman, you know, comes into work, for example, and, you know, is vocal, she's labeled as, as aggressive. But South Asians, and this was certainly my experience, was you're a troublemaker. But why am I a troublemaker? Is it because you're so used to people just not speaking up or this unconscious bias that they have towards South Asians? It's like, you know, you're not going to rock the boat. You're just going to be yes people that we can always rely on you. Um, and you'll never question authority. You'll never question anything. But then, you know, along comes me and I'd be like, but why are we doing that? Does, that doesn't make sense. And like all that, of a sudden, that. you're a trouble. Yeah, nobody liked that. <laughs> people, still, <laughs> people still don't like that. But there's just more of a platform to speak that way now. Like for us, there was no such thing as diversity, inclusion, and equity. Like, what was DEI? What was that for you? What was diversity? What did it look like for you? Well, in a workspace, at work, I didn't feel it as much as a junior lawyer because there was lots of Asians. But looking up to the seniors, Mm. there was no representation. There was hardly, like, maybe one or two Asian, you know, senior lawyers, partners. Um, 
because most I don't know like they would we would come in as juniors but whether you'd be kept on whether you would get promoted it always seemed like that that that, wasn't that wasn't happening exactly and I would say even though I haven't worked now for a number of years it's still like that yeah I was about to ask it hasn't changed so much no not in the legal field unfortunately but why do you think that is but I maybe it's not just in the legal world to be honest I think in many 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 situations you do see like we'll see middle managers yeah. like our South Asians but when you see senior leadership there's very very few representation or few people that look like us I don't, I don't know why I mean going back to the legal field I, I mean I can only comment on that but there was this whole drinking culture so you know you would have mm. to you know going out for drinks after work and actually a lot of you know friendships mm. were made politics a lot of Asians you know might not be comfortable with going to the pub going out you know I mean I used to go but I never drank alcohol but it never stopped mm. me from attending mm. But I know there's a lot of Asians that might not have been comfortable even just to go. And, and even like when you say Asians, it's probably, if you actually break it down, it's probably more Muslims that wouldn't, yeah. right? With the alcohol, that's true. The, yeah. But then it's also like the whole culture of um, fag breaks, cigarette breaks. You know, a lot of people would have conversations yes. over a cigarette break. And you'd bump into people and then you would get in there. So already, if you're not drinking and you're not smoking, you know, basically your life's ruined. Okay. And if your mum wants you home by nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> That's How much can you work at nine o'clock? So, I mean, we laugh, but it's true. No. You know, it's because... I don't know even if it was a safety aspect, but again, it's just what our parents knew or parents of that generation, that's all they knew. I mean, I remember when um, it was, um, I think it was Natalie's 16th birthday and um, I really wanted to go. And obviously, like, nobody else was going, like, from South Asians and stuff, but Cav and I were going to go. And I remember that, her grandma at the time um, sat us down and said to us, you can only go, but when you go, if you drink a drink, make sure you open a new bottle every time. And so we were like, okay, so every time we wanted a drink, we'd open like a brand new, massive, like three, two liter bottle of, of Coke or something. And we would only drink from that. But there was nobody else. There were no other Asians at this party apart from, apart from like the two of us which was just really bizarre. At least you went. <laughs> Yay, thanks, Nat. <laughs> thanks, Natalie, for inviting us. <laughs> you probably thought you wouldn't turn up. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, they came. They came. <laughs> but um, I feel like, I don't know, and then you went to a completely different sixth form as well oh my god but so did I that's true but was and that was like a bit form... of a culture shock exactly but was was your sixth form like that as well as in like 99% yeah, Asian was... 
Oh, yeah. Okay. And that was a huge, huge culture shock coming from like yeah. our schooling to A levels. But also, by the way, that was the first time I also realized that <laughs> Gujarati Muslims existed. And I never knew that any other type of Indians, like for the longest time, we were the only like kind of Indian Muslims that we point, knew. And then I went to sixth form and it's like, oh, wow, there's a whole like whole community of people I had no idea about. And then I didn't feel as like isolated oh, for being from the Indian. Indian side. Oh, yes. That's, yeah, that's true, actually. That's where I met Fazana. Hide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like really, and and actually at that time, I think um, Pakistanis were the minority in my sixth form. Oh, it's actually I don't non-coloured no, people I, are the minority in my sixth form. <laughs> I couldn't say. I think we had a good mix, but obviously the Asians were the majority. But then I went to uni. But then I feel where. Was thrown into again where hardly any Asians. It was a you know it was actually a really good mix, mm -hmm. um, you know. But I but I was fine. I could I was able to adapt. I was able to, you know, just I didn't find it a big shock. I mean, I know someone who left Warwick University because they couldn't handle how many um, that there weren't any Asians. They just couldn't. Oh. And then they went to a London university. Because instead. they were so used to that, yeah, growing up. Growing, exactly. That's insane. And they actually left. But that's how people migrated. When people, like, left and migrated to the UK, or immigrated to the UK, um, they actually, that's how the clusters formed, right? So the Pakistani community moved to one side where there were more Pakistanis, yes. the Indians moved to uh, Bangladeshis, moved to another Sri Lankans like so even now when you think about London um, as a community you know you've got like a lot of for example Gujaratis um, Indians in West London you've got a lot of Pakistanis in East London you know you've got a lot of like um, at the time the Bangladeshi community there was mostly like in Whitechapel Tower um, Tower Hill like that area okay. and stuff so people you know um, even like a lot of um, Greek Cypriots, um, you find a lot of them in North London. So there are, st there are still like pockets of communities because that's they were what they were familiar with, right? So that's where they ended up. It's only now that in our generation, like people, we move now where schools are good. Exactly. <laughs> we don't care about. Or we can afford to there, buy a but... house. Because... Yeah, that, that as well, where you, exactly. But it wasn't, like that, like you were just kind of stuck in the community that your parents were kind of familiar with or knew of. Although it's a bit weird for us because none of our family lived anywhere near us. You think about it. Do you think mum and dad did that on purpose? <laughs> on purpose. I mean, in a way it's good because it kind of also taught us to explore and also, we didn't you know, meet other people. Exactly. I have friends who mm. are only ever, only would only socialise with their family members, only know their, you know, know their family because they're all close by and there's so many of them. But like you said, we had no choice but to, um, I mean, but we're fortunate. We were able to make friends and have close relationships with our cousins and families. With our family, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. 
But I feel like that's also kind of worked in our favor as we've got older, because we're able to kind of adapt to different situations. You know, we have a massive, like a very diverse set of friends. Um, You can't say that you just have more of one than the other. I don't think I I could handle it. I don't think I could handle it. I know you definitely couldn't. Just to have, imagine you'd have the same conversation over and over. Nobody would have a different outlook. Nobody, you know, it would be such a boring discussion. I don't know how guys do it. Yeah. Like, guys just have, like, those one or two close friends. Don't you get bored? This is a question for men. Don't you get bored (laughs) of your two friends? And having the same conversation. Like... I mean, maybe they just don't talk. Maybe they just play FIFA. I don't know. No. Maybe we just don't see each other. We actually see our friends more. But we're more likely to pick up the phone and call our friends. That's true. That is true. I mean, Yusuf can go months without seeing his friends. I couldn't do that. So I've been thinking that obviously you're used to asking all the questions. It's your podcast. But I think I should get to ask you a few questions now. <laughs> see how it feels to be Shadia. Is that okay? Oh my god! Well, as my guests say, like you know, don't don't make don't make this awkward. <laughs> don't make this awkward. No, no, I'll, I won't make this awkward. Let's start off with what made you decide to, you know, like did you just wake up one day and think I'm going to let's start a podcast? Like, what made you do this? Why why are you doing this? Uh, actually, it was a bit like that, wasn't it? Um, I think, I don't know, I'm at that point in my life where I have been thinking so much about what I stand for, what my values, what my ethics are. And I really do think, like, it's not it's not been easy for me. I think my life just, and you know this, you know, and I don't know how to say this without crying, but um, my life has never been easy. And I feel like I've always had to fight against the narrative, right? So whether that narrative was created at home from parents, from family, with that expectation, you know, you're the eldest and you need to be this and, you know, do things a certain way. I, I mean, I think one of the one of the things about our own, our own upbringing was that although we were kind of taught to stand on our own two feet and be independent and never rely on anybody, but there was also that element of control. Yes that, you know, was really difficult. And so it was conflicting Mm. to grow up that way. Like, but you want me to be independent, but then you don't want me to have an opinion when it comes to you. Like, just be independent outside of the house. That doesn't make sense. Mm. So I think, I just feel like nobody's ever understood me. Nobody's ever understood, like, why I am the way that I am. And I think I have in the last few years started to be more um, accepting of people when I try and think about why they are the way that they are. So nobody's born mean, right? Nobody's born with a certain viewpoint. It's things that shape you, it's experiences. Um, Nobody's born aggressive. Nobody's, Nobody's born a troublemaker. But when you're having to constantly fight that narrative, and for me, I feel like from a work situation, I mean, you know, I was in the UK government for so long and um for the longest time I was just working with a bunch of like upper class white men Mm. and I remember having to be really like 
work twice as hard as them and always questioning like why though I mean I, I remember there was this one certain project and um my manager at the time he was sat down and he was explaining to me like why you know he needs somebody on this project and um they need to be the way he was making it out was like they need to be south you know it'd be really good if they had this south asian background and this intel and 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 i honestly thought that you know he's he's telling me because he wants me to you know do this yeah. And then he turns around and says like, oh, you know, I think like, I don't know, Bob will be great for this. And I was so confused. And I was like, are you, are you for real? Like, what the hell does Bob know about being South Asian or any of the things that we've just spoken about? So why was he telling and that, you that? And for then? me, I was his sounding board. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I was actually probably the most sane person like he knew he could get you know reason out of me he could get solutions like I work really hard but it was never enough and so going back to what you were saying that when you're at a senior leadership level you never you know it's very rare to find people that look like mm. you or represent you it's it's a case of that and I remember having to fight for that project from him and he was like oh okay i'll give it to you but then there was this added pressure exactly that, you know because what? have you just set me up for failure exactly did you do exactly. it exactly and so yeah i did it and obviously it was like you know it was a great success but that's not the point the point is because i had to fight so mm. hard to get it that you know you don't feel that euphoria you don't feel that like success because you just feel that oh, relief that, oh, okay, I didn't mess this up and, you know, people aren't going to see me and, and, in a certain way. And you think that you weren't chosen for that initially because of the colour, because of your colour? Oh. Yeah, I was just never in a, you know, contender for it because I'm okay at this level. Yeah. But, you know, I will never be considered at that level to get to that level. And... It's, it's tiring, you know, I'm now at a point in my life, like I'm really tired. I'm tired of having to work so hard and, you know, not moving and not getting anywhere or feeling like that I'm just not doing enough. Whereas, you know, you know this, I'm a, I'm a single parent. I've been raising, you know, a man on my own for God knows how many years now. I'm doing my master's. I'm working a full-time job. Um, I started the South Asian Affinity Group. I'm doing this podcast and it still doesn't feel like I'm doing enough. And, I'm and still feeling you, like I don't. And you keep time for your friends, which isn't easy. You're a good friend. It's not, but maybe that's what keeps me sane. But the point is I don't feel validated. Mm. And so back to being South Asian and doing things for validation, like I do think it goes hand in hand. And I think it's a generational kind of trauma that comes like everybody needs to feel validated so as a south asian you know, like our parents generation like for dad for example he needed to feel validated by not appearing to be a typical mm. indian yes right yeah. like that's what he his thing was i need to set myself apart from everybody else so i'm taken seriously and so now I wonder, like, you know, when you talk about diversity, even in our government and stuff, you know, and you have people that do make it to the top, but then how much do they do to help South Asians remember their own struggle? Well. Yeah. yeah. And 
I was having or maybe this they conversation go, with oh, them. Sorry to interrupt, or maybe they just go so out of their way to prove that they're not just mm-hmm. representing the South Asians and looking out for them, that they go to the next extreme. Do, do you find that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. And so I was having this conversation with another guest on another podcast, and we were talking about like how even you know, my experience with South Asians a lot of the time is, is that we're so quick to drag each other down, but not actually be like, oh, amazing, you know, they've done really well, or, you know, let's let's talk about this success, let's talk about, um, you know, okay, how did you get there? It can't have been easy, but my, I'm now finding that people are either completely blanking out when it comes to the struggle, and they just want to talk about the success, yes. um, or they just don't want to actually associate with, I mean, I've heard this so much now that actually I don't, I don't feel like I am South Asian or I don't, you know, brown's got nothing to do with it for me because the color of my yeah, skin makes it's got nothing to do. It's, it's, it's had nothing to do with the color of my skin. That, that can't be true. It has to have done like growing up. How many South Asians did you see on TV? You didn't, right? No. Remember everyone used to watch EastEnders. And then when that first Asian family came, oh, yes. Sanjay. <laughs> Sanjay. And it was like, exactly. And then it was, <laughs> oh my God. I think we're showing our age, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, it's um, it's a bit insane. And how can you then say, like, how could the, like, I don't know, who, sorry, I don't know who played Sanjay um, in EastEnders, but, you know, for him to get there, he must, there must have been a point where an actor would be like, well, there's nobody that looks like me. This can't be easy for me. Exactly. It can't be that. It, it, you can't have just walked into an audition and been like, here, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm really good at this. But there must have been some apprehensions, some, you know, confidence issues, other like hidden trauma and stuff that we just don't, don't know. know about. But, People don't talk about that. But enough. going back to your podcast, though, so what are you hoping to achieve from this podcast? So you've told us why you know, what made you want to do it in the first place, but what are you now hoping to to gain, to achieve, or, you know? That's a good question. I think it was, like, started off as a passion project. It still is, you know? I just want to be able to have some conversations with people um, and have them talk about some of their struggles and for people listening in, you know, like when I think of my son, like when I think of Aman or, you know, the kids, they should be able to listen in and understand that, okay, it hasn't been easy, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Like there is a way and I might go through these struggles and that might be actually normal for me to go through those and to feel a certain way, but also that it's okay to speak out. So somebody once recently, I think actually this might have been the catalyst, um, somebody we were talking about something and they said you know it could be worse and it was related to a struggle and I said you know but why can't it be better exactly and yes, I, I think for me that was like the triggering moment that we're so conditioned to think that it could be worse and we should be grateful for what we have that we never we don't ordinarily aspire to do better or to be better for ourselves, for other people, that it is okay. It is okay to speak up. It is okay to question. It is okay to value yourself because if you don't value yourself, then who's 
going to do that for you. And again, back to this whole sense of validation, like I'm still struggling with it. I'm saying all of this, but I need validation, whether it's in my career, whether it's through, you know, acknowledgement of something that I'm doing, whether it's, you know, getting my, being able to prove that I can raise a child and do my master's and do a full-time job and, you know, do all these other things, um, like a crazy person, but I need that validation and just don't feel. Sometimes I feel like the color of my skin doesn't help me. Yeah, but the reality is... And that's hard. That's hard, as I say, but the reality is it, it doesn't. It, it is hard, mm -hmm. you know, the, you feel all of this for a reason. You know, it's... I think maybe when you see other people around you doing well, moving, getting successful and doing things and you wonder, well, what's the difference between you and I? And then the only difference you can probably think of is the color of your skin. And that's a hard reality. I know. Because you think even in this day and age, like how is that even possible? It's true. With all this. I, I honestly thought it would be education. different now. It would be different for our children. But actually, you know, yes, there's been progress, but then sometimes I still think that, are they going to go through the same struggles we did? It's still, I mean, you know. Such a long way to go. Such a long way, exactly. There's still so much change that needs to happen. But, you know, but Shah, doing things like this podcast, raising awareness, these are all steps. These are, these are steps for positive change. If They are. And I hope, you know, it resonates with somebody. I hope, like, somebody can turn around and say, okay, that helped and I can speak up and I've been doing it, <laughs> doing it for years. <laughs> but you can give, maybe you can do a podcast on <laughs> some tips on what, what not to do. Or <laughs> like... Oh yeah, how to. It's hard because my experience has always been that people don't necessarily help themselves, right? So they want to, they feel isolated they feel that you know like the whole um being uh, the color of my skin is a kind of drawback and they want to, but they don't know how to speak up so they're happy to kind of use i.e me someone who does speak up and is vocal and use me as the human shield to you know tell their story but that's difficult because you get labeled exactly. you know that's where you get like the label of of troublemaker or um, I don't know, like that's, a, that's a massive label to have, to walk into a, a, a job or a new place of, of work and then say something and they're like, oh, this one's going to be trouble, trouble because they've already made that judgment on you. And so it doesn't matter how hard you work or but how much you You have yourself. faced that and you have managed to overcome it because, you know, you wouldn't be where you are. Yeah. If you hadn't. I wouldn't. But, but I'm also... Hmm. But I, I do feel this gen this time it has helped with that. Fair enough. Because now there's labels for it, right? Mm. Now we have microaggressions. We have microaggressions. Yeah. We have diversity, equity, inclusion. Like there is so much more um, education around it. There is so much more hype around it now. Training, training's um, given as well to to raise awareness to help. Farias, I'm sure this is what she gives training. But do you think training helps? But do you think like training actually... No, oh, I know it does. Oh, I know, I know it does, right? And I can just, I shouldn't 
I won't say any names, but I know somebody who said to me after receiving some training, and he's Asian himself, South Asian himself, that, um, oh, I didn't realise that, you know, so many instances, so many circumstances and so many things that I have said myself is actually, um, you know, can be this discrimination, there's racism, there's... Actually, it was only after receiving the training did that person actually take a step back and think, okay, I have to stop doing certain things myself, but also things that are being said to me, about me, is also wrong. And it was only after the training did they... So maybe not for everyone, because I feel like you are going to say Mm. that you don't think training actually makes a difference or... Well, no, I think that I've been in situations where people have attended training okay. and then they've just been like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I don't do that. Oh, maybe you have to. But they know. do. They just, they don't realize that they do that. They don't realize they have no kind of concept or acknowledgement of their microaggressions because it's just so normal to them. So, so they're not open-minded. I guess if you're going to have, yeah, receive training with a closed mind, or then it won't make a difference. And I think that's the hardest part, like being open or being self-aware. That's that's what it is. Some people just are not self-aware. And again, that's a privilege. That's a privilege to have that you don't have to be self-aware because you can just say and do whatever you want and it and it's okay. It's, it's accepted. But saying that, there's a lot of microaggressions and stuff even with South Asians to each other, you know, like, you know, fat shaming, color shaming, um, you know, uh, education shaming, socioeconomic, like, shaming. There's there's so much of it from ourselves that I think, going back to your point about what, why did I want to do all of this, is I want to address and have some of those conversations and have people realise, like, it's okay. It's okay to actually speak up and say, no, I'm not here for that. Okay, so lastly... I know you ask all your guests this question, so I'm going to ask you now. What's (laughs) so you always ask them, what's Brown got to do with it? But for you, what's you know, Mm. what's Brown got to do with it for you? What what does being brown mean to me? Exactly. Um, So I think, like, why I ask this question is because I'm very clear on what being brown means to me. Um, And that is, it's it is a big part of who I am, it's obviously shaped the way I am, like facing racism, facing, you know, um, prejudice, um, facing cultural expectations, like this all come from being brown. And so because of all of that, I am now very sure of, you know, my confidence or what I stand for. Um, And so being brown, to me is being is experience that's what being brown means to me my experience makes me brown so somebody actually asked me once like you know do you feel more british or more asian and my answer to that is i cannot feel one without the other like i am first and foremost a south asian i've grown up in a south asian household you know in a south asian environment culturally but I've also grown up in a very Western environment um, and I've been in, you know, um, I've had to acclimatize to a Western way of living, thinking, working, 
And so they both go hand in hand. You can't be one without the other. I cannot be British without being Asian. Yes. And I cannot be the Asian that I am without being British. So I think that's what being brown means to me. It means identity. It means experience. And it means Shadia. <laughs> Do you want to quickly tell your listeners well, what you. um, Shadia means? Oh, my God. Can we just talk about, very lastly, our names? Because oh um, are, are you sure it's like, growing up, this was just hard. That it, it was, was, was it Sadia? Like, you got Sadia, Shadia, Shazia? Oh my God, Shazia, Sadia. So, okay, South Asian microaggression, let's just put it out there, is my name is Shadia. Now, Shadia is with a D and Shadia is an Arabic name and I was named by, um, my grandfather kept my name. But in South Asians, predominantly like in India and Pakistan, it's either Shazia or Sadia. Oh. And so, you know, I've had relatives who have called me Shazia all my life. Oh my God. And it gets to that point where it's so embarrassing. Like, you know, you're like, you're 25 years old. You can't tell somebody your name's not Shazia. <laughs> um, and so moving to the Middle East, it was like heaven because, you know, everyone's like, oh, Shazia, but then they expect you to speak Arabic. So, mm. and, and it was the same for you, right? Because your name's Neda. Exactly. But in India and Pakistan, it's Nida. Nida. And then when I was in Dubai, it was yeah. another. So... Yeah, it's another. Oh. So, yeah, that's also been really frustrating. But it's Shadia people, not Shazia and not Sadia. And on that note, this is um, a goodbye from Shadia and Neda. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having I'm me. I'm so proud of everything that you are and everything that you stand for as well. We have to actually um, have another conversation on, on that. Sure. But um, I love you and I will speak to you later. Take care.